Good morning. Who's ready to get into the Word of God? Yeah? Yeah, me too. I'm really excited. We're going to continue on this morning in Galatians. Started last week and had several people come to me and say, I can't believe the introduction took a whole sermon. I can't either. <laughs> I looked at the verses, and I think if I did my calculations right, and I didn't write it down, I just did it quick on the fly this morning, but I think there's 78 verses in uh, Galatians. And if my calculations are right, then uh, it's going to take us, let me make sure. There's 148 verses in Galatians, 148 verses. I did five last week. If I do five every week, it'll take us 29.6 weeks to go through six chapters of Galatians. And I don't understand how if the, if the introduction, which is the, maybe the lightest, uh, takes a, a whole sermon, how could I possibly go through the others? But we will see what the Lord does. I told some of the elders and some of the men of God this morning, hey, it's the Word of God, right? We're just in here preaching the Word of God. So we'll, we'll just go and, until the Lord says do something else. So you guys ready to get into Galatians? I'm excited about it. I, I really am. So this morning, we're going we're gonna to move forward to Galatians. We looked at verses 1 through 5 last week in the introduction, how jam-packed it was. Uh, for those of you who wouldn't hear, just a really quick uh, uh, look back at what we did. We talked about how the Bible can sometimes come off to some of us as this great big theological treatise that can be so overwhelming that we don't even go to it. Now, is the Bible absolutely a million miles deep theologically? Absolutely, it is. It's God's revealed word. It's theonoustos. It's God breathed. And so it is deep. It is wonderfully wide. But I'll tell you right now, uh, it is absolutely applicable and understandable by every individual through the power of the Holy Spirit as well. It is very practical in that the scriptures is just made up of different types of literature and genres, and uh, it's got historical narrative, it's got letters written in there, some poetry, all kinds of different things. And as we uh, started in the book of Galatians, one of the primary reasons that I want to go through Galatians is, one, I felt like the Lord, that's where he wanted me to go. It's absolutely uh, crucial to where we are in our culture today and where we are as a church and where I want us to go and where I feel like I know that God wants us to go through his word. But another thing is, is that as we go through, I want you to develop some, some ways to uh, study the scriptures as well. And as we opened up the book of Galatians, which is just a letter that was written to several churches by the apostle Paul, and he says that, he says, to the churches of Galatia, now, this was just a, an apostle, a called man of God who was set apart by God. He's told us in his letter in the introduction that he didn't come from men or by man, but he came through Jesus Christ. And we looked at that, and, and this is a man who is uh, commissioned by God with the revealed word of God to come and set some things straight. So he wrote a letter, and he says, look, I hear some things are going on. This is what I've got to say about that, and this is what I want done. And we can take that, and we can say, that's very that's very easy. Now, we can go pretty deep in this, but that's pretty easy, right? We can look at that and say, the Apostle Paul, he wrote a letter. That letter was distributed to these churches. These churches was to read this letter and say, okay, this is what we're doing. This is what Paul says we should be doing. Oh, man, we're not lining up there. Let's scratch this out. we got to stop that, guys. Uh, okay, this, uh, no other gospel. If anybody preaches another one. Oh, this guy said something that contradicted what Paul said originally. 
We need to do a what? We need to, we need to tell that guy he can't teach that anymore. Okay, got that. See, so this is very practical stuff that we take the, the letter that the Apostle Paul, who was a man who was given the Word of God by God, and we need to take his letter and, and put it next to our church. We need to put it next to our individual lives. We need to study it uh, so that we can see where we're off, right? That's pretty, that's pretty applicable. It's pretty practical. And so that's what I want to do as we go through. Now, we get into uh, verse 6 today, and we'll go as far as we can. I think we'll get through verse 10, uh, maybe a little bit further. We'll see. Uh, but I wanted to, to start in verse 6, and I want to, to go a little ways in Galatians and see what God would show us. Okay, before I do, I want to pray. God, I know that I'm a, uh, I'm a man, and I have uh, human, uh, a human nature. And so, God, I, I hope that you would protect uh, my understanding and, and my proclamation of your divine word, that you, would keep it, uh, that, that you would keep it honest to what you intended, what Paul intended, and that it would be applied like it should be applied, that we might show ourselves uh, workmen approved uh, that we might be able to say that uh, it is not I that live, but Christ who lives in me. I pray that anything that we see that is out of line, that we would correct it by the true and inspired Word of God. Let us have it as our standard. And when our flesh rises up against it, even in this service as it comes out, I pray that you would mortify the flesh, that you would kill the flesh, and that we would become less so that you might become more. So this is my prayer in the service, and I have confidence that you will uh, hear that prayer because I do believe it's according to your will. So may it be done today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're in Galatians. We're going to start in verse 6, and we're going to go as far as we can. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word out of respect for God's holy Word. Galatians 1, 6 through 10. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but that there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, now, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If, it were, if, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. You may be seated. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. So last week we, uh, we preached through the introduction of this letter and we said that Paul, even in his introduction, uh, he gives the gospel in so many words as he says, grace and peace to you from our uh, God and Father, from the Lord Jesus Christ, in, in essence, showing that grace and peace, which eclipses all of the gospel, encompasses all of the gospel, because the gospel is the only thing that can bring grace, and it's the only thing that can bring peace. And so he said, listen, uh, something has come to you, it needs to come to you, and it's only come through Christ Jesus, and that is grace 
and peace. And he goes on to talk about that grace that has been shown to them through Jesus Christ, who he said in the introduction was given for our sins. You see, he wasn't just given for sins. We have a tendency to do that, don't we? We want to talk about sins out there of other people. We want to talk about problems that other people have. When the preacher's preaching and he gets on fire and he starts stomping people's toes and you look over at your husband and you say, yeah, you hear him? You hear him? Yeah, you need to be listening to this when you're taking notes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We want to look and say, oh, I wish Miss Betty Jo was here. She really needed to hear this sermon. How many times have we said, the Lord has broken my heart. I stand naked and bare before you. I'm a man undone with unclean lips. Who will set me free from this body of death? You see, we always tend to think of other people's sins, right? But it says that he, gave it, he was given for our sins. He was given for our sins, who gave himself for our sins. And Paul says in the introduction, he says, Jesus Christ is the one who was given for your sins. He is the only way to deliver us from this present evil age. And now he comes to them, and, and, and he puts forth this, this plea to them. Now, I like how this is done because it really is helpful to me as I interact with some of you and some of the community as a, a person in leadership, as a pastor, as a lead pastor. I am commissioned and, and called by God to oversee you as the flock of God, as the sheep. You're not my sheep, but I am a stand-in shepherd for the King of kings and the Lord of lords who is my shepherd as well. So the Bible very clearly says, that I will give an answer for you one day and how I lead you, how I teach you. And so uh, as we move through this life and as you and I try to worship Christ together and as we try to live in accordance with his word, are there not going to be times where we step out of line? Are there not going to be times where we struggle? Are there not going to be times where we doubt, where we, where we let someone creep in and they start to, to breathe things into our life that aren't necessarily good to be in our life? We start to think certain ways. And so uh, as a pastor, see, there's, there's many different ways that the Bible can be applied. See, we read the Bible and we say, this applies to me and I need to make some changes. Well, as a lead pastor, I read this, I see that, and I see there's some changes that need to be made, and this is how I am to approach the people of God. You see how wonderful it is? Let me show you that it's the same with parenting. You see, as we read the Bible, we say, this applies to me personally, how I walk out my everyday life. I need to repent. Well, at the same time, we can take how the Apostle Paul, how the Apostle Peter, how, the, how James and John, and how, how they deal with issues, and we can say, well, if this is how the apostles and the disciples, if this is how Jesus Christ dealt with issues, then it would be smart and reasonable that I would deal with issues in the same way. Does that make sense? So we can apply it to our lives and how we help apply it to other people's lives. So I had a, a guy ask me last night, he said, does having children, does it affect the way that you uh, share the gospel with those around you? Absolutely. You see, my children have absolutely helped me to understand uh, how the gospel works in my life as I, uh, as I shape it, my understanding, with the word of God, because everything must be tested by the word. 
But as we step out into reality, we look at things in a different light. If we have the Word of God poured into us, and if we have a firm grasp of the Word of God, we react to people differently. So when I come to my children, if I'm self-righteous, and I think that I earned my salvation, and I've got it all right, and if I've got a lot of pride in my life, then I'll condemn my kids, I'll condemn my children unjustly, and it will be hard for me to show grace. Right? We talked last week about how we, can, how we can have false humility and be too low, but we also said how we can be too high. We can get into pride and arrogance. Well, how, where you are with God will decide how you interact with other people. Well, Paul here is teaching us where we are to be, when we go wrong, how to apply that. And this is what we bring to the text, or this is what we get from the text right here. So when Paul says, he said, look, grace and peace to you through Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to set us free from this present age. What's coming next is, have you gone away from that? This is how Paul says it. Verse 6. I am astonished or amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but that there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel. I want to start right here with this little phrase where he says, I am amazed that you're so quickly deserting him who called you. You see, Paul understands that there is a distinction between the children of God and those who are false teachers. He makes a distinction between sheep and wolves. He makes a distinction between those who have been led astray and those who are leading astray. And he deals with this, these two groups in different ways. You see, as people of God, the church of Galatia, which was different churches in Galatia, which was made up of believers, they had been planted by Paul. They had been planted and spoken into by Paul. He had preached the gospel. He had laid out for them exactly what the gospel was and what the truths of Jesus Christ were and what was to be followed. But then we have this group of people who have come in and they have started to distort this truth. They have started to mislead these people of God. Now, Paul doesn't come back into the people who are being misled and say, you idiots, you, you're dumb as dirt, I can't believe, you bunch of wicked sinners. No. As a matter of fact, he comes in, he says, this is amazing to me. What would, it, what would it take for this to surprise Paul? It seems like, and that's what this word means right here, it's like wonder or bewilderment, astonishment. I am astonished, I am amazed, this is blowing me away. What would have to be true of the people and his understanding and his relationship with the people and his understanding of the people for this to be such an amazing event or, or, or such an amazing turn of events? He would have had, huh? They would have had to have been solid. You see, this is the people of God. And, 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 and obviously, Paul uses this because, man, when he left, they were solid they had the word of God. They were, they were making moves. It seemed like they were a solid group. of. He had confidence in them. Wouldn't he have had to have had confidence in these believers in order to now be going, how in the world? Right? When my child makes a mistake and I knew that he didn't know any better, I don't act like that. I actually show a ton of grace and I'm like, okay, let's talk about this. This is what's wrong and this is what's right. You shouldn't have done this because of these reasons. Let's don't do that again. And if he has a, a good understanding of it, 
Yes, I understand. I've got that. Repeat it back to me. This, 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 and this. Okay, you got it. Solid. If he does that again tomorrow, a whole different story. A whole different story. Uh, we were at a football game yesterday, and Titus is the quarterback for our team. Well, this is the first year he's ever played quarterback. first year they've ever let him touch the ball, right? He's playing quarterback for the team, and, and he's done pretty good all season long. Uh, amazingly, he's done, he's done pretty good. He can throw the ball, run the ball. He does good. I'm proud of him. You know, that's my boy. He's doing good. Well, yesterday, he runs into a situation that he hadn't met before. And as a brand-new quarterback, and I'm not a quarterback coach, I've not, I've not, uh, I'm coaching the team, I've not prepared him for this yet. So he's, he's taking the shotgun snap down, set, hut. We've instituted this new play to where it's a play action. He gets the ball. He fakes the handoff. He comes around and on the run. Man, that was awesome sound effects right there, wasn't it? On the run, he plants here, and he makes the throw downfield, okay? Looked pretty good in practice, but it was just in practice. Well, it didn't go so well yesterday at the game. He comes out. He fakes the handoff. He starts to, to make his play action. He's rolling out. And all of a sudden, there's like four humongous fourth graders, you know, chasing him. Well, we don't ever want to go backwards on a football field, do we? But here I have my quarterback, ball in hand, running the other way. And I'm like, throw it away, throw it away. And he's like, what does that mean? <laughs> he lost like 20 yards on the play. Now, why did I not go over there and say, what are you doing? You know, I did say, don't you know you're not supposed to run backwards, but... He's not been taught that, you know, the different rules of the game. He's not been taught the standards by which he is expected to play. And so the rule is, is that when you're outside the tackle box, if you even know what that is, you see how this is applying here? Whenever you're outside that tackle box, you can just throw it out of bounds. If you're 15 yards back and you've rolled out, just throw it out of bounds. You get another play and you get to go all the way back where you started the first time. But you got to know those rules. Now, we're going to work on that in practice this week. And if he does that next week, I'm going to be amazed. You see? You see? As a lead pastor here, and as, and, and as someone who is teaching you, I'm going to tell you this. You've got to know the Word of God. How are you going to know what to do if you don't know what to do? You've got to know the Word of God. You have nothing to be held accountable for if you don't. You say, well, that's why I don't read it. <laughs> Come on. You've got to get in the Word. But this is, a very, this is a very good omen for them because he's saying, Galatians, what are you doing? You know better than this. I've preached the gospel among you. You know better than this. So you see how he's treating those who have been led astray differently than he's going to treat those who are leading them astray? Well, let's see how he does that. So we know that Paul had confidence in those who he had previously preached the gospel to. They were solid. I'm going to ask you right now, are you solid? Do you know what the gospel is? Do you, can you distinguish the gospel? Uh, we've had discussions, and I've seen this, these uh, articles out and all this discussion going on right now, of what defines Christianity. What defines a biblical Christian church? And there's all kind of different answers, whether it be uh, belief in the Trinity or belief in God's Word is infallible or this or, or, or that. But what I don't see often, and I think this is a huge mistake, is that the gospel is not outlined or put forth as definitional to the Christian church. And I think that's a huge mistake. Because based on what Paul, and what I mean by that is this, 
It has to, in order to be considered Christian, in order to be considered a Christian faith and not a sect or a cult or some type of offshoot that is heresy, it must comport with the one true gospel of Jesus Christ. You can't add to it. You can't take away from it. If you do, it's not Christianity. This is being lost in many of our churches today. They said, oh, if you just believe this and if you just believe that, you can believe what you want to about the gospel. That's, that's not biblical. I'll show you here. It's not my word. It's, it's, it's God through Paul. But this is what he says. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but that uh, there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. There's so much in here, but for time's sake, I want to touch on just a few thing, things. He says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you. Listen, so often uh, we, we rise up, and this will remind you of a parable, I think, so often we receive the word of God and we take it in and it's wonderful, it's great. How many of you have seen new believers and you've been one of them and you're on fire for the Lord? Man, you, you soak it up, you love it, you take it in. We've had them here at the church. I can rattle off to you man after man after man, woman after woman who I've seen come into the church and they've jumped up and they've got on fire and they were weeping before the Lord. I I, I won't call his name, but there was one man who stopped me yelling in the middle of a sermon, I gotta be saved! I gotta be saved! I ain't seen him in a long time. You see, so often, so often we, we receive the word of God and we take it in and, and, and we have this bursting forth of this passion and this excitement because it's something new and it's something, woo, yeah. It, the church has been like that. The church was new and it was fresh and there's nothing around like it. The music's different. It's very controversial and people saying we're, we're crazy and we're nuts. Let's go see what that's all about. And then the new wears off and where are those people? They fizzled out. And, and Paul is the same way. He's like, look, I preached this gospel to you. I laid it out for you. I, I told you what the truth was. You had the truth. You, you, you knew exactly what it was. I was confident when I left. And now I turn them around, and here you are. I turn around for one second. You're over there playing in the ant, ant, fire ant nest. I turn around for one second. You're eating dirt. I turn around for one second. One second. He says, why are you so quickly deserting him? You hear that language? He's pleading with these people who was, he was so confident in one time. He says, how can you so quickly, just like that, desert him? You see, this, this, this word right here is a desertion. It is a, a fleeing, an abandonment, a turning your back on. How could you desert the one who called you in grace? Listen to what he says. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. You see, he goes back to this word grace. Remember he said grace and peace to you in our Lord Jesus? He says, how can you so quickly desert or flee or turn your back on the one who called you in the grace of Jesus Christ? There is no greater calling, for there is no higher calling than that of the grace of Jesus Christ. For the grace of Christ is sufficient. To cover a multitude of sins. It is the only grace that is sufficient to cover a multitude of sins. And what he's saying is, this is why I'm amazed. This is why my mind is blown. Because you knew where you were. You knew what you had to have to be saved. You knew what the gospel was. You received the call of Jesus Christ through the grace of Jesus Christ. And now you're going to leave? 
What are you leaving for? What are you leaving for? What could, it, what could be better? What could be better? He says, I'm amazed that you're so quickly deserting him who called. Many of us are quick to give up. And like the parable of the sower and the seed, some seeds fall on that shallow ground, on that shallow soil, and they spring up. They spring up. But then as soon as the sun hits them, they wither and they die. What is it in your life right now that just has a hold of your heart and you're just mad? Have you forgotten the grace of God? What is it that has a hold of you and you're just sad and you're depressed? What life situation is so powerful and so potent and so amazingly overwhelming that it has overwhelmed the grace of Christ in your life and that you are now deserting him who called you in the grace of Jesus Christ? What life situation is that powerful? What life, what circumstance is that strong? There's nothing that should overwhelm the grace of Jesus Christ. In this situation, it wasn't necessarily a life situation, but it was a twisting of the truth. It was a distortion, it says. It says, I am amazed that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. I want to point this out, is that some would say that, that the gospel can be viewed in a multiple uh, fashion. It can be looked at in several different ways. And so but depending on perspective, there are multiple gospels. I'm going to tell you right now, there's only one gospel there is only one gospel, that's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that it is grace by faith, and that is not of yourself, but of gift of God. It is not of works, it is not of the will of man, nor of the will of any individual or will uh, that you would conjure up. It's not by your fleshly works, but it is by God who calls and has mercy on wicked sinners. All glory be to Christ. Amen? All glory be to Christ. He says here is that I am amazed that you are turning to a different gospel. And then he qualifies this. He says, not that there is another one. There's not another gospel. It's not like Paul is saying, I preached one gospel to you and you should have stayed faithful to me. Not go over and, and follow somebody else's gospel. I, you should have stick with my gospel. I think it's better. No. He says, I can't believe you're turning to another gospel. When you've, been called into, when you've been called by the grace of Christ, this is the one true gospel. And he goes on to qualify and he says, you're going to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. There's not another gospel. There's only heresy. There's not another way. There's only a false way. There's not another hope. There's only one hope. There's not another baptism. There's only one baptism. There's not another Lord, but only one Lord. There's not another Christ except the Antichrist. And he leads straight to hell and that's the only place he can lead. There's nothing but the Lord Jesus Christ and the one gospel. Paul says, there's not another gospel. And what was this that they were preaching as another gospel or a different gospel? Was it a replacement gospel? Was it a completely different story? You see, we want to say, well, I don't want to split hairs. Well, I got to tell you, you better split hairs. Because what Paul tells me in this letter, when he distinguishes between a false uh, gospel and that which is not false, it's not a big heaping replacement, but it's a distortion. It's a slight change. It's a tweaking, a distorting, a twisting, a turning. 
You see, the problem is, is that uh, these were not, uh, these were not uh, Muslims. These were not, uh, uh, these were not people who uh, were Islamic. These were not other religions. These were not, uh, these were not people who uh, were atheists. These were, no. You know what these were? These were Jews who, who, uh, who agreed that Jesus was God. They agreed that, that Jesus was the one who could take away sins. They agreed uh, with, with probably 98% of the theology based on a reading of Galatians. It wasn't that they were preaching some crazy, radically different, crazy doctrine that you would spot from a mile away. And I believe this is the reason why they were so easily swayed. In another book in Hebrews, which I think was written by Paul as well, there's debate on that. But he says, uh, be careful uh, lest you drift away. You see, most people who are Bible-believing Christians, they don't really just say, oh, well, I worship Jesus, but I started worshiping Satan the other day. They don't normally do that, do they? They normally start with just a little inch, a little inch, a little inch. You see, we put in retaining walls, and some of you are construction workers, and, and you frame houses, and you understand if you put up a wall, uh, which a retaining wall or a framing wall or, or an outside wall or whatever, and, and that, that wall is 20 foot long or 30 foot long, if you start out and your bubble is just a wee bit out of level, when you get to the other side, you're walking downhill. You understand what I'm saying? This word here that Paul uses, he says, there's not another gospel, but this is just a distortion of the gospel of Christ. You've got to be careful. And how in the world can you know? How is it that you can know what, the, what, what a false gospel is? How can you tell the distortion if you don't know what the real one is? There's no way you can see that wall out of level unless you've got what? A level or a plumb line. The plumb line is the word of God. The plumb line is Jesus Christ, God made flesh. If you don't know the word, if you, if you give up the infallibility of Scripture, if you give up the inerrancy of Scripture, if you give up the God-breathed nature of Scripture, you give up your plumb line, and there is no truth after that. Then the postmodern relativist is right, and everything, everything is up for grabs. What's your standard? How are you going to know? How are you going to know? You say, well, I'm just not that good at reading. You better get good. I don't know what else. I don't know. I mean, this is like an argument. I only graduated to fifth grade, Brandon. Well, they got audio Bibles. And there's 15 million hours of good sermons, good biblical sermons online. You have no excuse with me. None. I won't hear it. None. I don't care. None. Get in the Word of God. If you don't, and especially men, I'm going to call you men out right now. You say, well, I don't know. I don't know. You're a liar. You, well, you might not know, but you can. And I'm going to tell you right now, when you stand before God, just like I answer for this church, you'll answer for your church. You are the pastor of your home. And if you let the distortions of the enemy come in, you'll answer for that. You better preach the gospel to them just like I do to you and just like Paul did in Acts chapter 20. And he said, my hands are free of your blood because I did not, I did not neglect to preach to you the whole counsel of God. But how can you proclaim it? How can you, how can you catch the distortion if you don't know what the truth is? If you don't have the plumb line, you can't see the problem. 
You see, this wasn't huge leaps and jumps. It was a tweaking, a distortion. He says, I can't believe you're so uh, quickly running away from this and turning to a different gospel. There, there isn't even another gospel. This is just a distortion of the gospel of Christ. And, and he goes on to say this. Listen to the power of these words and the determination of these words and the finality of these words. Listen to what he says. This is the apostle Paul speaking. He says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. He says this of himself. The apostle Paul says, if I come back in two weeks and I've got another gospel, then may I be cursed of God. That Greek word is anathema. It means that may you be, uh, may you be heaped, may the wrath of God be heaped up on you. You say, well, what's the big deal, Brandon? I think you're splitting hairs. What's the big deal? I don't want to be cursed of God, bearing the wrath of God. Jesus says, better is, if, if any man that would, that would lead one of these little ones astray, in one part, in one part of this law, in one part of the scriptures, if, if any man should lead one of these little ones astray, in one little part of the law of God, in the scriptures, it would be better for him to have a millstone tied around his neck and throw him in the river. For any man that preaches another gospel, for anyone that would come into your house preaching another gospel, may he suffer the wrath of God. This is how important it is. Is the gospel definitional to Christianity and to the church and what makes a true church? Absolutely. The Apostle Paul believes it is. There's only one, and you better know what it is. He says, but even if we are an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. He says, not even me. I, if I come back, may I be accursed. But bigger than that, if an angel was to swoop down out of the sky, everybody's like, well, I'd have to see it to believe it. You shouldn't believe everything that you see. You say, I'd have to see the finger of God moving. Well, if an angel appeared to me, you don't believe demons are real? How many of you think that just because it's supernatural, it's legit? You catch a vision and you automatically think it's from the Lord? You catch a word and you automatically think it's from the Lord? People come to me all the time and say, I got a word for you, Pastor. Let's hear it. You lay that word out, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to test it according to the word of God. We'll see what your word says. And if it's contrary, get behind me, Satan. I ain't got no time for that. We test everything by the truth of the word of God. He says if even an angel was to come down. What if, now, now you, do you believe the Bible is, is for real? How many of you believe the Bible is for real? Many people say that, but they're like, well, I believe the Bible is for real. But I don't know about all those angels and stuff. I don't, know about, I don't know if God still works. I don't know about that. I don't know if God can do all that supernatural stuff. Paul says if an angel come back to you, what if you was laying in your bed, you was reading the Bible, you was praying to God, and all of a sudden the house began to shake and an angel swooped in and stood before you. You'd be like, ah! Sorry, Ella Ray. Right? You'd be, like, you'd be like, thou shalt not believe that Bible, but this one. What would you do? What would you do? What would you do? How given are you to the word of God? 
Huh? How founded are you? Would, you? would you stand up and look at the angel and say, like Jesus, it is written. Oh, man, that's what I'd like to do. I'd probably pee my pants, but I'd be like, it is written. If an angel should come to you and preach to God, what would that angel do? He might smack me around. I'd be have pee all over me, but I'd be like, it is written. It is written. It is written. How, 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 you see, you're like, well, the Bible, yeah, I like the Bible. Are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, I love Jesus. What Jesus do you love? What do you mean? But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. As, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Which is the one that we have received? Let me, let me go ahead and shoot down a myth. I don't understand how anybody can say they love Jesus but have no idea what the Bible says about him. And I, I, let me show you that just logically speaking. Based on the Bible, God's word right here, Paul just wrote it, that there's only one gospel. And you need to understand this one gospel in order to worship the one king. And if you believe or understand a different way, you are not worshiping the one true king. The false gospel, a distortion of the truth, and by the word of God, you have deserted Christ. You have abandoned him. Now, do you think it's okay, and you think you'll stand before the Lord and just be like, well, I didn't know Jesus. Well, at least at this point, I know from the word of God that we will answer for everything. And that those who have heard are that they have uh, uh, more responsibility now. So at least from this point forward, you've been warned. There is but one gospel. If you get the one gospel wrong, you've gotten it wrong. And you have abandoned the one true king, the one savior, Jesus Christ. It matters. For there is no other way. There is no, oh, I believe in Jesus. What Jesus? You know, the Mormons believe in Jesus. Jehovah's Witnesses believe in Jesus. The Muslims believe in Jesus. And Satan does too. What Jesus do? I say this in desperation for your souls. For if you worship the wrong Jesus, you will suffer the wrath of God for all eternity. The Antichrist has no salvation for your soul, but it is only the one true Messiah. His name is Jesus Christ. I don't say that in hate. I say it in love, longing for you to know what salvation is. Don't worship a false god and don't worship uh, a false savior. You need to know the one Christ. Now, as I wind this sermon down and as we come to an end on this particular section, I want to show you what 
causes us many times to move away from the one true gospel. And I think Paul is outlining that for us here. So we'll kind of just go right back through real quick. Uh, he had, he, in, in his introduction, he said, grace and peace to you through our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to set us free from this present evil age. So we are to be wholly different and that we are not to be focused on the culture and the situations, and, but we are to be focused on Christ and focused on what about Christ? On the one message, there is no other. So we've got this one thing, we've got this one call, and we've got to get this one thing right. We've got to, we've got to rightly understand the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the only one that can save, okay? So we've got this one thing, we've got one Christ that can save us, and, and that's what we're to press into. And, and when Paul comes back and they're not, he said, I'm blown away, I'm astonished, I'm amazed that you are so quick to run away from the Christ that you really did know. You knew. I see this in new believers all the time, like we just talked about just a second ago. You know that point in which you know you've never done anything worthy of being saved? And so you hear of this Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You hear the, the real gospel that it is by grace alone that you can be saved. There's nothing that you can do to earn this. But Jesus Christ died on the cross as an atonement, a, 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 a redemptive work, uh, paying for your sin in your place. And if you, if you accept him as Lord and Savior, if you confess with your mouth that he is God, that, Christ, that, that God rose him from the dead, that you shall be saved, not on your own merit, but on his, that you have no righteousness, but it is God's righteousness, Christ, the righteousness of Christ that is part imparted to you outside of anything that you've done to deserve it. And you fall on your knees in, in utter amazement at this beautiful grace. That, 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 that was an accident. That was awesome. But you, you fall on your face in, in amazement and you say, yes, yes, Lord, I need you. I need you because I am a wicked, awful sinner. But just like we talked about last week, you start to build this self-exaltation. You might get into the word a little bit. You might start to understand a little thing. And then you see yourself as doing it right. And you, this pride starts to emerge from you. And you get to this place where it was Jesus because you knew you were a worthless, wretched sinner. And you couldn't do anything. But then you adopted this view of man that he is actually capable of meeting God halfway. And you start downhill into this distortion of the gospel. And God has to knock you off of your high horse. So we start to distort this gospel and we start to come into this legalistic, works-based gospel. And so uh, why do we do that? Paul says, I'm amazed that you're starting to do this, that you're leaving for this distorted thing. And these were uh, the, 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 this Jewish sect that, that yeah, they believed Jesus was, was the Messiah. They believed Jesus. But they had come in. They could say, yeah, Jesus can save you, but it's Jesus and the observance of the Old Testament law. You've got to be circumcised. You've got to follow these rituals. You've got to follow these ways. And, and, and if you don't do that, then you can't be saved. See, Jesus plus something equals nothing. It can't be Jesus and works. It can't work that way. Either you do it or he does it. Either you pay it or he paid it. There's no in-between. And so he, he goes on here to say this. He says, he lays out, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Let him have heaps of wrath poured upon him. And he says this, which is I thought was odd at the end of this, but I, but I think I started to understand this. He says, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? You know what I think he's pointing out there in this rhetorical question? He's asking, for am I now uh, looking to please man or God? He's, and, and what's the question of that? 
Obviously, God, I, Paul's not interested in pleasing man. He says it over and over that, that he doesn't care who it is around him. He is going to obey God. But he is showing here the reason that they have started to distort the gospel and that they have started to be led astray. Why? It's because these people have come in and they've started saying these things. And in order to comport with the people around them, in order to uh, start to transform, uh, to, to be transformed by the world, they have started to give up. They have started to uh, compromise the gospel. They have started to say, well, you know, I can see it now. They come in, they say, oh, you guys got it going on, Jesus. Yeah, Jesus, what well, great, yeah. Oh, y'all ain't being circumcised? We got some work to do. <laughs> My wife's just like, oh, no, he didn't just do that. That's what Paul says. He said, we got some work. Y'all got a lot good going on. You got some good stuff going on, but we got some work to do as he reaches for his knife. You see? They say, it's not Christ. Come on. But Paul said that it was Christ. No. Paul, where's he at? Paul, see, Paul left y'all high and dry. Yeah, Jesus is great. Jesus is good. Jesus died on the cross. Yeah, he rose from the dead. Yeah, that's all that's good. But you got to follow the law, too. Jesus is not enough. You see, this conversation would have had to go down something like this. Jesus is not enough. You've got to obey the Old Testament ritualistic laws as well. It's time to do some slicing and dicing, baby. Oh, they made a line at the bathroom. Next. You know? I don't understand. So why would they have not just said, wait a minute, Paul said no. They felt like they needed to please these men. They felt like they needed to, to give up something in order to compromise because the people, the people coming in, the, 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 the new people thought that it shouldn't be that way. They believed a different way. Well, well, maybe they're right, you know? We talked about this in the apologetics class this morning. At the end of the day, Christians aren't bold anymore. Not many. And I'm not talking about like, you know, throw King James Bibles at you. You know, I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about firm in your faith. You know what the gospel is, and you're not giving it up. But in our postmodern world, Paul's words apply. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? How many Christians have I witnessed that are in conversation with an atheist or a Hindu or a Muslim or whatever else, and the Christian, how many have been on talk shows, and the guy serves it up, and he says, so does everybody who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ go to hell? So Joel Osteen, dance all around this one like a princess in a pink dress. Well, you see, um, I just believe, no! Yes, everybody that doesn't believe in Jesus Christ goes to hell. Everybody that does not believe in Jesus Christ goes to hell. You say, well, that's very unloving. No! What's unloving is, is that you're driving 190 miles an hour toward hell. And I'm like, have a good trip. How many people and why? And if you like Joel Osteen, all I can say is, I'm sorry. I don't know how else to say that. We'll move on from there. This is the point. Why do they do that? Why do they do that? To please men. The Bible is crystal clear. 
Paul says, if anybody else preaches another gospel, I don't care if the angel opens up the roof and comes down on wings. If he says something else other than the gospel that you have, the wrath of God be on that man or that angel. Well, I don't know. It seems very intolerant. Jesus Christ is the one that said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father but by me. Is that intolerant? Absolutely. Is that inclusive? Absolutely not. Get right or get left. Now, we preach the gospel in season and out of season. We love on people. We build relationships. But at the end of the day, we cannot give up the truth of God in order to please men or to not hurt their feelings. Sometimes people need their feelings hurt. I don't like hurting people's Well, maybe sometimes I do. But normally I don't like hurting people's feelings. But i tell you right now, nothing gives me greater pleasure than to preach a sermon and watch somebody go, oh, oh, I'm terrible, I'm terrible. And I'm saying, amen, come to Jesus. Hey, when I preach the gospel, I don't preach to get laughs and preach to make people like me. I can't. I can't. What I do is I preach the gospel in such a way, and my hope and my desire is that this gospel that is proclaimed, the word of God that is proclaimed, would strip away every self-righteous prideful, arrogant, selfish thought that you could possibly please God through your selfish, ridiculous, foolish, utter, nasty, disgusting, filthy, rags, righteousness that you think you could offer God to strip all of it away so that you stand naked and bare before the Lord in utter desperation for His grace, longing for the day that we would all see the need for Christ and fall flat on our face and plead, Lord, Lord, forgive me a sinner. Forgive me a sinner. Paul says, for, I, for am I now speaking, seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. That's a good place to end. And as the band comes up, as he says, am I now seeking the approval of men or of God? If I were still seeking the approval of man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Why would he say that? That word right there, uh, doulos, that, is, that, that can mean slave or servant. He says, I wouldn't be a slave of Christ. I wouldn't be a servant of Christ if I was looking to please men. Why? He's following his train of thought out consistently. He says, because if I was looking to please men, I would be just like you. I would, I would start to, to move away, and I would start to serve the world rather than Christ. Let me tell you something, men and women of God. If you don't have the firm foundation of the gospel, you have nothing to measure yourself by. You have nothing to measure your doctrine by. You have nothing left to measure where it is that you stand and what it is that you believe, and you'll be easily led away, and you'll become a servant of the world, a servant of your own lusts and your own passions and your own desires. 
as we all stand to our feet and as these lights come down here, I want you to think about that. I know today wasn't a, as much of a touchy feel good, but you know what? I don't really care. I need for you to understand that doctrinal awareness is absolutely crucial.